the business savvy singer. Hey there. And welcome to the Business Savvy Singer podcast. I'm Dr. Greta Pope, and I'm so glad that you're here. This podcast is dedicated to vocalists and to those who love them. We interview singers who are working professionally to get a glimpse into their lives and celebrate their personal journey to success. Join us weekly to learn how to move your career forward. Get tips and recommendations to help you realize the career of your dreams. You're listening to the Business Savvy Singer Podcast, brought to you by the PrivateMusicStudio.net, providing online education to build sustainable careers in music. Also, Eternal Wolf Music, producing audio for every need. And Greta Pope Entertainment for the finest in entertainment. We're continuing our interview with Chicago broadcast legend, Richard Steele. You know, you're so disappointed when this doesn't work out, that particular thing, but then something better is around the corner. And we just always have to remember that, yeah. So you've been in this business a long time. What would you say are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in broadcasting during your career? Social media. <laughs> but that's, pretty um, recent. that's pretty recent, but there must have been things before that even that were changing. Well, you know, what had changed, and I came in doing a, a sort of a transition era. Uh, when I came in and I was working in Virginia, at a small radio station, and then even later in Boston, uh, there was still kind of a setup where there was a music list to play music from, but you had some choices. Uh, in some categories about what to play. It wasn't like a strict play, a playlist where you had to follow the playlist and you know, like whatever was there next, that's what you played. And uh, we had, we, we didn't have a lot of limitation in terms of how long to talk, you know, not forever, but yeah. you know, there was a lot of latitude about how, you know, if you wanted to be funny, if you wanted to say stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you wanted to talk about an artist on a record, uh, that was, you know, that was something you could do, which also enhanced the personality aspect of your delivery on the radio, you know, so you needed to know a little bit, of, a little bit about music, well, more than a little bit about the music and the artists, and uh, you need to be able to make a connection with the audience, you know. The thing in radio, they tell you in, in the beginning, and it's, I think it's still true, the audience have to feel like you're, people in the audience have to feel like you're talking to an audience of one, that person. And so that's how it was back then. And uh, I, when, the, the transition started when black radio started to, to, to go heavily into format radio. Uh, before that, it was, pretty, it was pretty loose, but it worked. Yeah, the audience loved that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here in Chicago it was WVON, which is the major, which was the major station. WGRT, the station I was on, was a daytime station. Uh, you know, it... It, it changed seasonally in turn, when the summer arrived and we had longer hours. That's the kind of license we had. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, WVON used to joke about us and call us, call us the station that run down at sun, runs down at sundown. Because <laughs> <laughs> in the wintertime, we'd be off like at 4.30, 4, 5 o'clock, you know. Yeah. So, but the changes have been uh, in the personality radio aspect of it. Um, 
a personality used to be like a major, major part of it. And I was around long enough to see that change when it became, by the time I was working for V103, we still had some personality in radio. Um, and more and more it became, uh, you know, the voice tracking came along, which changed everything. Yeah. Uh, voice tracking allowed people who owned radio stations to have uh, like one person in three markets, four markets, much yeah. like syndication. But in this case, it was, because I did a little voice tracking for a station here, uh, another station where you just, you go in the studio, you just, you just do, you do the tracks. I mean, you do voice tracking, introducing the records and all that. Uh, and uh, you can sort of pretend you're in another market. Just not, don't be market specific. Yes. And, and then a lot of companies have used that over the years and it eliminated jobs, you mm. know, and the bottom line to that is. And then syndication uh, was a big change. When, when Tom Joyner syndicated, that was the first African-American radio personality who really blew up in syndication. Yeah. And that changed a lot of things. Tom had a great show, but in the meantime, all the stations that he was on eliminated their morning personality because he was the morning personality, right. you know? So a lot of changes occurred during the time I was in. I was fortunate in that I survived the changes and that I was able to, uh, to still maintain. And then when it really got to the next level in terms of social media connected with music radio, uh, I was transitioning to talk radio at that point, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, talk radio also, I mean, really social media, so super big. And I'm, I'm technology challenged, um, but uh, my departure from music radio, I think was kind of at the right time. I mean, I did jazz on, uh, on public radio too. And so, but that was the difference. It was more relaxed and I didn't have the, the format limitations when yeah. I was doing jazz uh, on, on public radio, on WBEZ here. So I've, I've survived, I survived a lot of changes and uh, I was very, very lucky in many instances. Uh, when I got hired uh, as a, as a uh, pledge host at Channel 11, that's another situation where I, rather, I was so fortunate. I had a publicist, uh, Terry, uh, I can't think of Terry's last name. She was a publicist and she was doing stuff for me. And so she got me this audition at WTTW to be a pledge host. And I said, oh, this is, this is cool. So. I went to the audition, I was terrible. And so the, the person who, uh, who did the audition told uh, Terry that, well, he wasn't very good. So she was fantastic. She convinced this person that he's really better than that. Cause she asked me, how did you do? I said, I was terrible. I mean, I knew I was terrible, right? So uh, she called this person back and said, listen, I mean, I was her client, but she, I knew her personally and we were good friends and she's called this person and said, he's really better than that. That was a bad day. And I'm asking you to please have him come back and do another audition. That's great. I came back, did another audition. I was really pretty good. And, and uh, so I did uh, pledge drives at uh, WTTW for about 25 years. Yes, yes. I've certainly seen you on WTTW doing the pledge drives. Fantastic. Yeah, got, I got lucky. <laughs> yeah, but lucky, you know, luck is when, what is it, opportunity meets preparation or whatever that phrase is. Yeah, and you no, really you're right. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That is true, yeah. Yeah. So now you were involved in something called classical tapestry. 
which was an innovative program by Sym Symphony Center. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the object of, uh, the object of, of that program was to build on, on their audience. It wanted a larger black audience at Symphony Center. And so I don't know whose idea it was, but it was a good idea. It was to mix classical music with jazz. That is to say that on the same program, there'd be you know both kinds of music and many times one tying into the other or having enough connection so that you'd find interest in both. I'll give you a good example. The symphony orchestra was, was doing a piece uh, that had a narration to the piece. Mm -hmm. and, and so the person who came in to do the narration was James Earl Jones. Wow. And so uh, wow. <laughs> I had an opportunity. So here, the setup was I would interview the artist who was uh, the jazz artist. I interviewed Sonny Rollins one time. I'd interview that person before uh, the concert. I mean, the idea would be, we went to, we went to a small uh, social room on the first floor, mm -hmm. on the second floor rather, and it had wine and cheese. And then the guy who was the director of Symphony Center, he and I would sit up on stage and then between, in, in between us would be the artist. Mm -hmm. And then there'd be a, a small group of people, the people who had bought season tickets got invited to this thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, they kind of filled up this, this room. And that was really nice. We got a chance to talk to the artists and they made the connection between, Jim and I talked about uh, the classical aspect of it and also uh, the jazz aspect, aspect of it. And so uh, it really, it turned out to really be, uh, I think I did it for about two years, <clears throat> two years. And I met a lot of interesting people and, and uh, the audience was exposed to the artist and what they had to say in an intimate setting. Yes. My only regret is I didn't, I don't have a tape recording. I don't have any, oh. I don't have, I don't have a visual, I have nothing yeah, left of that. Live interviews, yeah. Because, yeah, they owned it at that, at that point. It was put on by Commonwealth Edison. They owned it. And at the, at the time, it didn't occur to me to really ask them about, you know, could I get uh, a copy of that interview? And so I didn't. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you, sometimes you're not thinking. And That's I was not. Right. That's, you know. That happens. Wow. But that's fantastic, though. So did it did it uh, bring about the result that they were wanting? Were people more uh, you know, willing to go to? I think it did. I that's think it really did. Uh, that was the whole point, again, was to increase the size of the audience and uh, and also to generate an interest in some classical music um, that was understandable. And so uh, I think it worked very well. I mean, they, they, we had normally it was a packed house. And uh, it was a plus. And so I did it for about two years and I th think they decided on a different, another program and another sponsor uh, because Commonwealth Edison paid for that and also my, my talent fee. Yeah. And uh, so it was, it, was, it was an interesting, uh, and for me, it was, from a career standpoint, it was very good. And I developed a really great relationship with the guy who is the uh, director at Symphony Center. And so he and I became friends and uh, it gave me access to Symphony Center too, you know, when things came up. And so that was a good thing. That's and it, also, it, it helped me at BEZ because when there were people that we needed to, to interview that were appearing at Symphony Center, I could always call them and said, listen, can we get so-and-so on to do an interview? That's great. That's great. Yeah, it gave you some, some networking opportunity there. That's wonderful. Absolutely. 
you have worked on some fantastic projects, uh, really interesting. And one that really stuck out to me, and I'd like to know more about it, is the barbershop show. That sounds like so much fun. Tell us about that. Well, it wasn't my concept. Somebody, they had the barbershop show before I came to it as host. Um, it, the idea was to do a live broadcast from a barbershop on the west side of Chicago. This, this, I think this came up because this, the station was trying to initiate a better connection with the black community. And so they had started this maybe a year, year and a half before I actually, before I became host. Mm -hmm. And um, the people that they had were uh, kind of transient. They didn't, they couldn't, they didn't have a, a regular host stay as long as they would have liked to have them. And people were just, you know, it was kind of a project, you know, it wasn't like something established uh, as a, as a, a real program that, uh, you know, generated interest. It, it generated some interest, but, you know, it was still kind of an experiment. Actually, it started on Vocalo, which is the sister station of WBEZ and sort of an experimental thing mm -hmm. called Vocalo.org. Uh, so that's where it started. All right, bottom line is when they were one of the one of the hosts at that point, at the point I came in, one of the hosts left, uh, left the station and they were short. Uh, I think both left the station, as a matter of fact. No, one left the station. Mm -hmm. And one was still there. And so they said, well, can you can you be the co-host with this other person? She was incredibly smart. She went on, as a matter of fact, to work for The Washington Post. Wow. Um, but so she was and she was a lot of fun. She was not you know, stuffy at all. So we co-hosted and had a lot of fun, interviewed a lot of people. The idea was to be in the community. So yeah. this was a working barbershop. They were cutting hair while we were in, interviewing people. And then at, there are times when we'd, we'd ask the person who was having their hair cut what they thought about a given thing that we were, you know, discussing as subject matter. Yeah. And sometimes we got an opinion from the barber, you know. Uh, oh, that's great. Uh, so uh, I remember one time a guy was in, a guy brought his kid in and uh, his kid was, uh, was in the chair and he was real fidgety and cried off and on. I guess his first haircut or second haircut. And we just told people on the air, listen, this is a working barbershop. This is a this is a black father with his son, which is a real positive thing. And uh, this is what we do. You know, we uh, we connect with the community. So it was it was just an amazing experience for me to be right there in the community and talk about issues. Uh, we also had we also talked about some Hispanic issues, too, because uh, that was part of our audience mm -hmm. and part of that part of the neighborhood. So um People are always amazed to tell, they said to me, was that a real barbershop? Yeah, that was in a barbershop, you know, uh, absolutely. And That's so, cool. and then when I when I retired officially from BEZ, uh, at that point, uh, I became, when the lady I told you about who went to the Washington Post when she left, uh, I became the sole host and they said, well, so we find somebody else, uh, would you do it by yourself? And I said, sure. And that continued. And so I just became the host. Wow. And uh, uh, so we, and then at that point, I had retired from WBEZ. So they said, well, would you like to continue doing the barbershop show as a freelancer? And so I said, sure. You know, right. are you paying? Are you paying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they, no, they were very generous. And I stayed on and uh, we had some great experiences. We had some performances. There were times when we had people come in who would do uh, acapella performances. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, it was really great. And I'll tell you this, on my very last show, uh, the very last show that I did uh, sort of worked out in, in that, the, the day the day that my last show was scheduled was Mavis Staples' birthday. Wow. So I know Mavis. And I told my producer, I said, you know, it's, it's interesting that our last show is on Mavis's birthday. And so she said, well, can we get Mavis to come in? I said, yeah, I don't know about that. You know, she's, you know, she's had to, she has to get a driver to bring her over to, to the West Side. And, and, you know, like, I mean, Mavis and I are cool, don't get me wrong, because I had interviewed her at the radio station. But this was different. Yeah. The barbershop on the west side. Although, <laughs> you know, like Mavis is a real regular person, so that was not intimidating, not that part of it, but me asking her to do it. Right. Um, so I did ask her to do it, and she agreed. She came in, and when she got there, people's jaws dropped. They said, that. Is that is that is that is that Benjamin Staples? You know? <laughs> and the other and the other part of it I had I or the other part of it is I had I also called Gene Chandler, who in a flashback was the Duke of Earl, a big oh, record in yeah. R&B, one of the biggest many years ago. Um, he still performs, as a matter of fact. Oh. And so uh, I asked him to come in on this last show, and he did. So both oh. of them were in the barbershop live. <laughs> <laughs> that is and people, fantastic. People were like, they, they just couldn't believe it. When people come, came into the shop, they went, whoa. Is that really? Yeah, it is. That's fantastic. That so, is fantastic. So we had a great time. And then tying it into a local business, uh, I'm sure you're aware of the Brown Sugar Bakery. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, she was my guest that day on that show, too. Wow. So she brought she brought this amazing caramel cake to celebrate. my. It was my birthday. Oh. Wasn't paper, wasn't, that's I great. take that back, wasn't Mavis's birthday. It was my birthday. Okay. Which which okay. is why Mavis said yes. And you know, and then um the lady from Brown Sugar Bakery bought a bought a big huge cake. And so we all had this caramel cake and it was like nice. it was it was crazy, you know what I mean? So uh but but it was just uh it was sort of a finale for something that had worked that worked very well. Yeah. You know? Now were you going to the same barbershop each week? Um and did you go in with specific topics of discussion or did yeah. Kind of, you know, it kind of morphed wherever it went. No, we had specific topics and we had specific guests, as you would have at the radio station. Okay. Um, and and the guests associated with the topic, they had at one point talked about going to various barber shops, and then it was determined, since we had built a relationship with this barber shop, to make that our regular spot. Um, and just to show you how things can happen, Greta, we we did a we did a piece one time on. Uh, on violence in the community uh, and, and shootings. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one of the barbers, we didn't know this, when he weighed in on it, he was very sad. His son had been killed like that, had been shot to death. Oh. And he, so we, he would, you know, he, he made his comment. We, we invited him to the microphone and, and uh, he talked about it. He was incredibly sad, but it was uh, a jarring reality. You know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. So things like that, you just never know what's going to happen. No, you don't. You don't. And it's so great that you were there and giving the people a voice. You know, that's that's huge. Giving them a voice and entertainment. <laughs> yeah, that's that's who. Yeah. You know, yeah. We had different different politicians came in. Um, yeah, that's you great. Know, so 
it was fantastic. Great experience. I still today when I run into people, they ask me, whatever happened to the barbershop <laughs> show? And so it, it makes me feel like we did contribute something oh, yeah. and it had some kind of a lasting impact. And so I'm grateful for that. Yeah, people were listening. We look forward to talking with Richard Steele again on the Business Savvy Singer podcast. The Business Savvy Singer podcast is brought to you by the privatemusicstudio.net, Eternal Wolf Music, and Greta Pope Entertainment. Let us know if you know of a singer who is having great success in the music business. We'd love to share their story and their journey on this podcast. Send your emails to info at gretapope.com. We've had a great time with you today. See you next time on the Business Savvy Singer podcast. The Business Savvy Singer. Singer.